Hi, my name is Jonathan. I am one of the pastors here at Heights Baptist Church in Alvin. We're so glad that you found us online and wanted to let you know that at Heights, it's our desire to love and to lead all people to a new life with Christ. And one of the ways that we strive to do that is by posting weekly content at all of the places that you might visit on a regular basis. You can find us on YouTube and Facebook. You can find us with a podcast, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to check out our Instagram page as well. If you're finding us for the first time, make sure that you let us know you were here by going to heightschurch.org connect and filling out the digital connect card. We're so glad that you found us. Christ, we are in the series that Pastor Matt mentioned called Flickering Lamps. We recognize that Jesus says we are the light of the world as Christians, and we don't want our lamps to flicker. We want them to shine. And so what we've been doing is studying the seven churches in the book of Revelation because those churches represent at that point lamps that were flickering, that Christ says, yes, you're flickering now. But then there's hope for you. If you'll do what I'm told you to do, if you'll keep your eyes on me, now your light can start to shine. So if you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to open to Revelation chapter 2. We're going to pick up in verse 18 in a moment. So Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. Um, again, big thanks for yesterday. I know so many of you served. So many of you stayed up late and watched the Astros last night. And so let me just say this ahead of time because I've talked to several of you and you're like, man, I'm tired today. So let me express my thanks to you. At any point in this sermon, your eyes close. Thank you for praying for me as I preach. Okay, so thank you so much. I fully understand that some of you are prayer warriors, and it's just going to be like most of the message. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for who you are. We come to your word, and we see in Revelation chapter 1 that it is Christ who says he loves us. He died for us to free us from our sins so that we can live with you forevermore. And, and so, Father, we recognize this is your word. We recognize the authority in your word in our lives. And we recognize that you have loved us so much that you sent Christ Jesus into this world uh, to die for us, so that we may have life now and life eternally with you. And so, Lord, I just pray as we, we come to this time of worship, as we have sung songs uh, about you and to you for the edification and the encouragement of each other as well, that now as we open your word, that the Holy Spirit would speak to us individually and corporately as a church in the only manners and ways in which he can. Uh, Father, help me as I preach, as I lead as well, to have the clarity that I need in these moments. Uh, and Father, I pray for myself. Uh, Lord, I feel like the tax collector often in Luke 18 who comes to church just says, Lord, be merciful to me. Uh, Lord, I'm a sinner, and we all need Christ in our lives constantly changing us, constantly bringing us to you. And so, Father, we pray for that moment uh, now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, as we've studied these churches, it's been really, really interesting to me uh, as you come and you examine each one. And this morning, we're going to look in uh, the church in Thyatira in verse 18. And sometimes when we come to our Bibles, we can kind of stop and think, well, what does this still mean today? Like, you know, 
culturally does this still have application to where we are uh, in the culture we are in and the year we're in? Because, I mean, really, this is written so long ago. This is written like over 2,000 years ago, so does it really still matter to me? And what's interesting is you start studying it out a little bit more as we've been doing is that you realize the church of Thyatira is dealing with a lot of the same things we're dealing with right now in America and in our churches as well. There's not really this big gap that we see of all of these years. It's, it's still a lot of the same fundamental problems. Because, see, one of the problems in the church of Thyatira is this. There was a lot of moral relativism going on. So essentially, they were just saying, hey, it, it really doesn't matter what you believe. Right? As long as you believe. As long as you believe something. You know, and, and the kind of the moral ethic of the day was this. If it feels right to you, then it must be right. Because if it feels good to you, if it makes you happy then it must be okay because it's made you happy. It's made you feel good. So in the churches in America today, we're still struggling with those same concepts. We're struggling with the concept of we want to be all affirming, we want to be all welcoming, so therefore all people can come in. And it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you believe. So a lot of churches in America today are kind of throwing those doors wide open and just simply saying this, doesn't matter. If it feels good to you, then it must be right because... It made you feel good. So we're kind of starting to slowly erase all moral standards, all ethical standards, instead of coming to God's word and saying, wait a minute, God's word is the authority in our lives, and it's God that lays out what's right and what's wrong according to his word. And so when you come into the church of Thyatira, it's the same prevalent idea today. And what happens is when you in your life when I in my life, within our churches, if we start compromising God's word, we start removing away from what's right, what's wrong, according to his word, and we start allowing ourselves that ethic and that moral standard of we're going to define right and wrong based on our feelings, based on our emotions, what we've done is now shifted God off of his throne and we've put ourselves on the throne. Because we're saying, no, God, wait a minute, you stay over here, I'm the one that makes this decision here. And so now that lamp, that light for Jesus, it begins to flicker. Maybe today that's where you are. And today you kind of feel like, hey, I'm not close to the Lord right now for for other reasons. You know, I, I feel like I'm just flickering. Well, the good news is there's hope in that. And there's hope in this man by the name of Jesus. Because Jesus says, if you'll put your eyes back on me, if you'll follow me, if you'll, if you'll just live the way I want you to live, live according to my standards, you'll worship me first in your life, that flickering will go to a bright, shining light. Let me introduce you to the church in the city of Thyatira. It's the smallest of the seven cities in the book of Revelation. But what's interesting about this part in the letter to Thyatira, it's the longest letter to any of the churches. So you have the smallest church who gets the longest letter. This city is known for their guilds, their trade unions. Uh, They're famous for their bronze work, their leather work, their wool products, and for their purple dye. You know, you've heard of Thyatira probably if you've studied through the book of Acts because it's in Acts chapter 16 where you meet Lydia and Paul shares the gospel with Lydia and Lydia is from Thyatira. 
And she's in Philippi at the time. Paul shares the gospel with her. She gets saved. And so she may have been the first convert coming out of Thyatira. But this is really, out of the seven cities, this is the most insignificant one. But what's amazing to me is the one that's the most insignificant in our eyes is the one that gets Jesus' most attention. So you and I need to remember that in our lives today. That we may feel insignificant in our lives, but we're significant to Christ. That Christ knows us and Christ knows you today. It's Christ that's going to warn them that trying to compromise your faith for your feelings, for your desires, for what you think is right or wrong based on those feelings is going to lead you to a place that you do not want to be. And so that's, this morning, I want to give you just kind of one statement, and I think we have it on the screen for you, and this is kind of where I want to draw your attention for you to think about today. It's this, that your actions today are leading you to a destination in the future. And you got to stop and think about this. Your actions right now today, how you're living today, what you're doing today, the decisions you're making today are leading you to a destination in the future. And so therefore, you and I have to put our eyes on Christ and understand who this Jesus is and how we follow him. So as we move through this part of the letter to Thyatira, you're going to see four truths about Jesus, and that's going to help you and I follow him because we know the actions that we make today, the decisions we make today. The way we're living right now is taking us down a path somewhere in the future. So let's look in Thyatira. The first truth I want you to give you is this, that it is Jesus who is all-knowing. It's Jesus that's all-knowing. Pick up in verse 18. He says, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. Jesus says in verse 19, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. In verse 18, it is Christ uh, that is giving John these words. And every time that John writes to one of the churches, he uses the description of Jesus from chapter 1 in which he saw him, that heavenly vision. And he says, this is the words of the Son of God. So this is Jesus' words, John's saying. So, So kind of pay attention, church. This is Christ talking with his authority, not John's authority. And he says, this Jesus is the Son of God. What's interesting about that is that's the only time that title is used in the book of Revelation to describe Jesus. And he's using it for the people of Thyatira because the people of Thyatira, their God in which they worship was Apollo. Apollo is the son of Zeus. And so it's almost like Jesus is saying, hey, you worship this false, puny little God who's just the God of the sun, but I am the son of God. I'm the son of the one true God. Colossians 1, Paul says it this way, that Christ was, you know, before the foundation of the world, it's through Christ all things were created, through him and for him. And so he's setting the authority, the tone to say, these are my words, the one true God. And notice the description of Christ, verse 18. He has eyes like a flame of fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. Those eyes like a flame of fire mean this, he sees everything. He sees everything. He knows everything. He knows everything about your life. He knows you better than you because he made you, right? So he knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're about to say. He knows what you're about to do. So what you do in private that no one else may see, Christ sees. 
what you think that maybe, hey, I got away with because no one called me on the carpet, no one caught me in that moment, Christ knows. His eyes are like a flame of fire. His feet are like a burnished bronze. The burnished bronze imagery there gives us this idea that brass was the symbol of judgment. So it is this all-knowing Jesus who is bringing judgment against those who sin against him. In verse 19, he says, I know your works. He's saying, church, I, I know your works. Like you, you may be insignificant to other parts of the world, church, but, but Jesus is saying, I, I know your works. And notice what he says. He says, this church is doing some really good things. I know your works. He says, I know your, your love, your faith, your servants, and your patience, endurance. I mean, Jesus is saying, guys, great job. You're, you're a loving church. You're a, a laboring church. You're a loyal church. You're staying faithful. You're a long-suffering church. You're being patient in endurance, and you can continue on going even though through hard times. And if we stopped right there, we might go, man, where's Thyatira? Let's, let's do it, right? This is, a good, this is a good church. You know, they're, they're loving, they're loyal, they're faithful, they're enduring, they're doing good things, but if you've been with us, you know the flow of these letters where Christ often says, hey, great job, but you got some things to correct, you know? And so it, it's kind of like, hey, you, you got to have the broccoli before you get the, the, the chocolate pie, right? You know? It's kind of like that. It's kind of like, you, guys, I, I know you just want the chocolate chip cookies, but man, we got to go over some broccoli. Or, or for me personally, it's Brussels sprouts. How some of you people eat Brussels sprouts, I have no idea. My wife loves them. She, you know, bacon, balsamic vinegar, all that stuff. I'm like, I don't, I don't get it. Like, I just don't. How some of you do. God bless you. It's fine. It's good for you. That, I don't know where I was going with that, but <laughs> there you go. Other things will be said later that may be on track or may not be. I was up late too, all right? So there we go. So Christ is saying, look, you, you, you've got these things that are going well, but there is a fundamental problem within your church, and that's this, that Christ does not condone sin as we do. You know, the, the first truth we need to understand about Jesus, he's all-knowing. The second thing is this, he doesn't condone sin. You and I will. Jesus doesn't play around with it. You and I do. Right? We, we kind of excuse it sometimes. We try to put it, sweep it under the rug. We try to ignore it. And Christ's like, no, I don't do any of those things. This is my church. Right? I mean, you and I have to remind ourselves over and over again, Colossians chapter 1, Jesus is the chief shepherd of Heights Baptist Church. Revelation chapter 1, it is Jesus that holds the seven stars in his right hand. That, that he owns us. We are just stewards of everything of Heights Baptist Church that he's called us to steward. We don't own any of this. This is his. And so Jesus cares about his church. He cares about the purity of his church and his people. That's why he doesn't condone sin. That's why he says in verse 20, but I have this against you that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and eat food, sacrifice to idols. Now he mentions in verse 20 a woman. He says you tolerate that woman Jezebel. We understand this, that there was an actual false prophetess in this church that was teaching incorrect doctrine. 
Notice that she is self-professed as a prophetess. This isn't under the authority of God in which she's teaching. She's self-professing herself to be a prophetess of God. Now, I don't believe that her name was Jezebel, but Jesus is invoking Jezebel's name to this church to remind them of Jezebel from the Old Testament. If you know the Old Testament, 1 Kings chapter 16, you meet this woman by the name of Jezebel. She is married to King Ahab. It's under King Ahab and Jezebel that they forced the people of God in the northern kingdom to start worshiping Baal, the false god of Baal. Jezebel has 450 prophets of God killed along with many other sons and daughters of God who don't worship Baal. So Jesus is saying here, this woman who is teaching in the church as a prophetess that she's propped herself up to be, she has that spirit of Jezebel. She's leading you down a track you don't want to go. What is the teaching in which she's putting before the people? Well, notice verse 20 again. He says, she calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and eat food sacrificed to idols. Simply put, the teaching was this. You live as a Christian on Sunday. That's great. It's okay to live however you want to Monday through Saturday. So she was teaching you compartmentalize your faith based on where you were. With culturally what's happening here is there were a lot of trade unions around the town because there was a lot of trade workers. That's basically what this town was known for. So there's a lot of trade unions. In each trade union, each trade union had their own deity in which they worshiped. Each trade union had their own festivals, their own celebrations. When they got together, they often ate meat that was sacrificed to idols, and there was often sexual immorality practiced within the union meetings. So now here you have Christians who need jobs, who need places, how to make and live an income. How are we going to make money? Right? It's not like you're going to quit a trade union job and go get the job at the bank. Right? It's not like you can quit your trade and go teach school. So it's kind of putting Christians within the corner of, well, if we don't participate in these meetings, if we don't do what we're supposed to do like they want us to do in the meetings, then how do we still have a job? How do we still make a meeting? How do we still make money? Now you have this false teaching from Jezebel going, look, it's okay. God understands. God's okay with that. Just, just be a Christian when you're around Christians, and that's okay. And then when you're around non-Christians, it's okay to act like the non-Christians. So you compartmentalize out where you are. With your non-Christians, no big deal, Christian, just act like they do. When you're with Christians, act like they do. That's the false teaching going out. Why? Because the standard of the day is the struggle that many have today. If it makes me feel good, then it has to be right because it made me feel good. When I was... um, Growing up in elementary school, I had about five or six really close friends. And all through elementary school, middle school, high school, I pretty much had this group and this core of friends. About five or six of us, we hung around all the time. We were always linked together. Even in our college years, we were all pretty much close together in college. And in our college years, I started taking my faith more seriously. I finally said, you know what? I'm a Christian. I say I am. 
I need to act like one, okay? Novel concept, right? But I'm like, you know, I, I need to do this. And so I, I, I talked with my friends, and students, I want you to really kind of clue in with me on this because this is going to help you guys out as well. And adults, we still need to learn this lesson also. But I, I sat my friends down, I talked to them, I said, look, you know I'm a Christian, and I need to take that more seriously. And there's some things that I want to keep doing with you guys, but then there's some things I can't do anymore. So when you go play basketball, you know, we, we go play golf, we go to the movies, we go to people's, you know, apartments, go play video games, just those kind of things like, man, I still want to hang out with you. I, I still want to be there. Give me a call. But when it's a Friday night, it's a Saturday night, and you guys want to go out to the bar and you want to go drinking, like, don't call me. I, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to go with you there anymore. I'll go with you over here and I'll hang out here, but I, I can't do this anymore because it violates my conscience of who I'm trying to be in Christ. You know what happened over time? Is they stopped being my friend. We stopped hanging out altogether. And, and students, I want you to hear me on this. That hurt, and it was painful for a time because these were, these were guys I knew since elementary school. But it was okay in the end. Because what happened was God started bringing me godly friends in my life that built up my faith, that encouraged me. And adults, you and I need to remember that, that it is okay to have non-Christian friends. We're okay with that. We need to do that as believers, to be around people that aren't Christians. But here's the key thing. We set the environment in which we're in. We choose that. Jesus was around non-Christians all the time, but Jesus was always in control of the situation in which he was in. So you as the Christian, you control the environment in which you are within your friend groups. And you and I as adults, we need to model this well for our young people. We need to model well how not to compartmentalize our faith. You and I need to model well over and over again, in our homes, we're Christians. In our workplaces, we're Christian. In our churches, we're Christian. We're following Christ no matter where we are. That as believers in Christ, we need to remember this, that we are never meant to fit into the culture. We are never meant to fit hand and glove in the culture today. We are meant to be distinctive of the culture. So stop. Stop trying as adults to fit into the culture in which you were not designed to fit into. Teenagers, stop. Stop trying to fit into the cultural norms that we were not designed to fit into. First Peter tells us we're exiles. We're a different breed. We're a new creation. You and I should be distinct from the culture enough to where the culture goes, wait a minute, that's a better way. Wait a minute, that's a way I don't know. Wait a minute, talk to me more about this. How are you not always fighting with your family? How are you unified with people that you don't always agree with? Why are you loving people that way? Why are you serving people that way? The more and more we try to fit into the culture, our lights will flicker. The more and more we are distinct from the culture, our lights will shine brightly. And that's what Christ is getting at. He says, I, I don't condone sin. But notice the third truth is this, that Christ will execute his perfect justice. That Christ points their sin out, just as he does in my life, just as he does in your life. 
and he executes his perfect justice. Pick up in verse 21. He says, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into the great tribulation unless they repent of her works. I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. I will give each of you according to your works." Verse 24, but the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who do not learn what some have called the deep things of Satan, to you I say I don't lay on any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. So it is Christ who's all-knowing. It's Christ that doesn't condone sin. He doesn't sweep it under the rug. He deals with it, just as you and I are to deal with it in our lives. And it's Christ, this third truth we see, that executes his perfect justice. Now, when you read those verses, there's some troubling verses in there, isn't it? Because Jesus is saying, look, I gave her time to repent, and she didn't. Understand this about God's mercy and discipline. That before he executes justice, before he executes judgment, before he executes discipline on us in our lives, he gives us time to repent. He says, I'm going to give you a chance to get it right. I'm going to give you moments to get it right. But for Jezebel and the folks in this church that have now compromised God's word, the clock struck midnight. And I don't know about you today, but your clock may be about to strike midnight when it comes to Jesus. That he has allowed you for, for, for a time, for a season. Just like Luke 15, where the prodigal son came to the, older, to the father and says, hey, I want to go. I don't want to be here anymore. The dad said, go. All right, go. Go if you don't want to be here. Romans chapter 1, you might have loved your sin so much that God just said, all right, I'm going to hand it over to you. You're, there you go. Is that what you want? I'll give it to you. But God right now is saying, come back. Come back. Just like the father in Luke 15, he's searching for you. He loves you. He cares for you. But there is a time stamp on his grace. And that clock right now, tick. Tick, tick is in your life, and it might strike midnight at any moment. And that's what Jesus is telling the people in Thyatira. That's what he's telling them. You've compromised my word enough. You've corrupted it enough, and now it's time for justice. I gave you a chance. I gave you every opportunity to get it right. And these are troubling verses that we read where Christ is saying, I'm going to throw her onto a sickbed. And any of those that have corrupted my teaching within the church who've committed adultery with her, I'm going to throw them into tribulation. I'm going to throw them into trials. I'm going to throw them into trouble unless they repent. Verse 23, I'm going to strike her children dead. Now, I don't honestly know whether that's literal or whether that's figurative. I, there's, I mean, you can, you can research this out and you're going to read 20 different opinions. Was Jesus literally going to strike children dead in the church? Or is this figurative? I don't know. But I know this, that we need to take those words seriously. We need to take Jesus seriously. We take our sins seriously. That, that's the point, right? The point's not whether this is literal or figurative, because this is a day and age. Remember in, in, in the book of Acts, this is Ananias and Sapphira time. This is Luke, you know, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Lord's Supper, where Paul's saying, hey, some of you are dead and sick because you haven't been taking the Lord's Supper properly. 
Right? So this is early church where God is caring deeply about the purity of his church. So I don't know if it's literal or figurative. I just know when I read the passage, I'm like, wait a minute, Jesus means business. And we need to pay attention to that. I mean, he, he means business when it comes to our sin. And he executes his justice and his judgment perfectly. Let me ask this. How many parents in the room that have more than two children? Did you slip your hand up? Okay, cool. All right, good. How many of you are siblings where you had more, you know, maybe two, three, four siblings? How many siblings? Okay, good. You guys are going to understand this perfectly then. As parents, we do not discipline perfectly. We do not discipline fairly as parents. We don't. We just, we don't. Our first child will do something, and I mean, we read them the riot act. Second child will do the same thing, same offense, eh, they get a little discipline. Child four, child five, same thing, same offense, and it's like, just run along, get out of here, right? And what you have is you have the first child going, whoa, same thing, right? You read me the riot act. Child four is getting off, scot-free, right? Am, am I right? For those of you as siblings that experience that, those of you as parents who don't always practice discipline fairly, but not Jesus. Jesus always executes his discipline perfectly and fairly. The justice always fits the crime. And so it is Christ here that is calling us unto repentance it is Christ here giving us those opportunities because he's all-knowing, all-loving, who doesn't condone sin, who has to deal with it in our lives. But the fourth truth is this, it is Christ that gives us a better future. It's Christ that gives us a better future. We pick up in verse 26, and he says this, to the one who conquers. Okay, so, so not all the Christians in Thyatira were doing this. There were some that were staying faithful to God's word. He says, to the one that conquers, who keeps my works until the end. All right, what is the proof of salvation biblically? The proof of salvation biblically is not a time when you pray to receive Christ. It's how you're living. It's do you stay faithful in the moments. The proof of salvation is, is not what you did. It's what you're doing, where you're going. All right, so the proof of salvation is did you stay until the end? Did you finish the race? And so he's saying, the one who conquers, who keeps my works until the end, to him I give authority over the nations. He'll rule with a rod of iron as, as when earthen pots are broken into pieces, even as myself have received my authority from my Father. I'll give him the morning star, so he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And this is why you and I ought to stay faithful to Christ. No matter the situation, no matter the pressures, no matter how much our culture says, hey, the way you determine truth is if it feels right, you, it, it's got to be right because it felt right. No, the, the way we determine truth is by God's word. What he says is right is right. What he says is wrong is wrong. Stay on that course, Christ is saying. There's two rewards for you as believers in Christ if you stay till the end, if you persevere as a Christian. The first reward is this. He says, you will rule the nations with me. 
And what he's saying in verse 26, that rule from the rod of iron with the nations, this is pointing us to the millennial reign of Christ. When Christ comes again and rules and reigns from the throne of David for a thousand years here on earth. Somehow, in some way, as believers in Jesus Christ, we participate in that rule and reign. I know you have a lot of practical questions like I do in that, and we won't have those all answered right now. I just know that if there's ever a sign-up sheet on like where I can pick to be in charge of, like give me the mountains in Colorado, okay? Like, I mean, if I get a if I get a choice, I'm gonna like be the first one to sign up on the sign-up sheet on Heaven's bulletin board, okay? I I don't know all what's gonna happen in that rule and reign of the millennial kingdom. I just know He promises us a role in that as believers, and so that should help us stay faithful to Christ because we have work to do for Him in that time. But you notice also the second promise? He says in verse 27 this, he says, I'm going to give you the morning star. Revelation chapter 22, verse 6, Christ says, I am the morning star. So Christ says, hey, church, hey, Christians, stay faithful because you know what faithfulness means? It means you get me. I'm giving you me. I'm giving you myself. And that promise is this, that we get to be in heaven with Christ for all of eternity. For all of eternity, experiencing the glorified, resurrected Jesus. And and I know we talk a lot about heaven in our lives. And, you know, we we love the song, I Can Only Imagine. And we think about heaven and, and we, you know, we we kind of like, hey, uh, what's heaven going to be like? And you think about the streets of gold and you wonder, man, is my cat going to be there? I don't know. Is my dog going to be there? Yes. All right. I mean, like, so... Like, you think about all those things in heaven. Like, I get to see my loved one again that's gone before me. I get to not be in the presence of sin and death and, and evil anymore. And all those things are awesome. Like, I mean, all those benefits of heaven are wonderful. But you know the thing that trumps them all? It's you get to be with Christ. The one who died for you. The one who freed you. The one who saved you. And that's what makes heaven, heaven. It's not the loved one that's gone before us. It's not the streets of gold. It's not being in the, you know, no more presence of sin or evil. It's being in the presence of Christ, the resurrected, glorified Jesus for all of eternity. And so he says, I'm giving you me. I'm giving you the morning star, me. I'm giving myself to you now and for all of eternity. If you'll stay with me to the end, if you'll continue to follow me. See, the actions that you're making today are leading you to a destination in the future. You know, I don't know about you, but uh, when I drive, I use my GPS a lot. You know, I've, I use the Waze app on my phone or Google Maps, Yahoo Maps. Pretty much anywhere I go up in Houston, I'm punching in, you know, where I need to go. And, it, and, and when you use one of those maps on your phone, you know, and, and you punch in an address where you need to go, what, what often happens is it gives you two, two ways to go gives you two routes, right? And we say, hey, if you want to take this route, you'll avoid the tolls. And, you know, you won't have the 288 tollway that's going to rob you of all your children's inheritance anymore. You know, I mean, like you can go that route, you can take some back roads, or you can take the 288 toll road and just be like, hey, kids, sorry, your, your inheritance went up the toll road today. And just, hey, good luck later in life. All right. But it always gives you two ways. And so you, you get that choice. Which path am I going to go on? In life, there's two paths. You're on one of those two paths right now. 
Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew that there is one path that a lot of people are on. It's a wide path. It's a path that's going to lead right to the gates of hell. And when you die, if you're on that path, you're going to end up right at the gates of hell. And on the description, right on the gates of hell, it's going to be this, written out, judgment deserved. Judgment deserved. Judgment deserved. Some of you are on that path right now. But Christ says there's an alternative path. And this path is narrow. This path is hard to walk sometimes. But if you stay on that path, it's going to lead you to the gates of heaven. And right there on the gates of heaven is going to be an inscription. The free gift of salvation received. And the free gift of salvation received. Hell, punishment deserved. Heaven, free gift of salvation received. You're on one of those paths right now. And if you find yourself on the path that is leading you to hell, Jesus says there's a way to be on this path that leads to heaven. But that way you've got to take, that detour off the path from hell to heaven, is right through me. Because Jesus says in John 14, 6, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one's coming to heaven's gates. No one's coming to the Father. No one's coming to the bright morning star, but through me. And so you and I, we need to deal with our sin. We need to take it seriously. We need to repent. And we need to say, God, I'm following your word. What you say is right is right. What you say is wrong is wrong because you're the authority in my life. You're my savior. You're my morning star. Not my feelings, not my thoughts. Those don't determine right and wrongs. It's you, Jesus, because it is you who's died for my sin it is you who has freed me. It is you who has saved me. The actions you're making today will lead you to a destination in the future, whether that is the gates of hell, whether that is the gates of heaven. You have to choose. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you again for your word. And Father, I pray today that we take the sin in our lives very seriously. That, Lord, we put aside our thoughts, we put aside our feelings. Lord, that really we stop trying in our lives to determine right and wrong based on a cultural standard. But we determine right and wrong in our lives based on the very word of God. So I thank you for this letter to the church of Thyatira that speaks so much to us today. And, Lord, I pray as a church that we will be a church and a people that uphold your word will be a people that constantly love others with grace and truth. And Father, I pray that we'll be a people that constantly point people to Jesus who saves us, who frees us from our sin, who gives us eternal life with him now and forever. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I want to thank you for watching today's message. I just want to ask you one simple question as we close our time together today. Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? See, that, that's a very key question because I didn't just ask, do you know Jesus? But do you know him as your personal Lord and Savior? My story is that I grew up going to church. I was in a house where going to church on a Sunday morning was not really an option. Uh, the joke in my house with my dad was if I came to him and said, hey, dad, I don't want to go to church today. 
uh, he would look at me and say, well, do you want to eat lunch later? Because we're going to eat lunch after church, and all those that go to church get to eat lunch. And so I, I was brought in a home where I was at church all the time. I was you know, one of those that went to Sunday school, vacation Bible school. Anytime the doors were open, my family was there. And so I grew up hearing about Jesus. I grew up knowing about Jesus. But it was at the age of 14, one night in my bedroom, that I realized I didn't know Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. And so sometimes you'll hear people say, well, I've always been a Christian. I've always loved Jesus. And you know, the Bible doesn't teach that. Instead, the Bible teaches that you and I have to make a personal, conscious decision to follow Jesus in our lives. That's what Jesus tells Nicodemus in John chapter 3, that you have to be born again. That there has to be a time in your life where you said, yes, I am now a follower of Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to ask you that question again. Do you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? Have you made that decision in your life to follow him by faith? And so one night in my bedroom, like I said, it was in the month of August. I decided as a 14-year-old right then and there, I was going to be a believer in Jesus and I placed my faith and trust in him. And maybe right now where you are, you're ready today to say, I want to be a believer in Christ, to have my sins forgiven to know that I can have a relationship with God now that lasts throughout all of eternity so that when I die, I go to heaven to be with him because I've trusted in what Christ has done for me. So I'm gonna lead in a time of prayer. And if you're ready today, right where you are to become a believer in Christ, you can pray along with me because God knows our hearts and that's what's key in this, but you may not know how to form the words to say. So let me just form some words with you and just pray right now. Father God, I am ready to become a believer in Jesus. Right now today, I trust Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. I confess my sin to you, and now I'm ready to follow Christ as the one who's forgiven me of my sin, dying on the cross for me, being raised from the grave to forgive me and give me new life. Thank you, God, for loving me. Friend, I want to just thank you. If you've prayed with us today, we want to hear from you. You can let us know that by going to heightschurch.org slash connect. There's going to be a decision button right there on the website that you can fill out a very short form that's going to come right to me. And we would love to follow up with you, pray with you, help you just take your simple next steps of faith. And so thank you for watching. We would love to see you in person if you're in our area. Uh, Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. are our life groups. 10.30 a.m. is our worship service. And so until we see each other again, God bless.